Well, welcome to everyone tuning in to January's Southwest Climate Podcast, brought to you by the Southwest Climate Change Network and the Climate Assessment for the Southwest, which is more affectionately known as CLEMIS, both here at the University of Arizona. And for those of you listening for the first time, uh, we'll be discussing today climate and weather as it, as it pertains to Arizona and New Mexico. But that inevitably means we'll be discussing phenomena that occur in far off, uh, far off places like the Arctic and tropical Pacific Ocean. So today's Wednesday, January 23rd, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Crimmins. He's a climatologist and longtime contributor to CLEMIS. Uh, we're normally here with another climatologist, Greg Garfin, but due to the flu, he, he's out. Uh, that must have been uh, because of the, the cold Arctic blast I that happened so. last week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, I'm Zach Guido, also a CLEMIS contributor. So today we'll amble through our customary climate and weather roundup. We'll hit on such things as the current state of, of drought, temperature, and snowpack, among other things. And then at the end, we'll, we'll spend a bit of time talking about the Arctic and the cold weather that, that hit us here last week. Um, okay, so today um, we'll start off, I'll, I'll kick it off with some numbers, Mike, um, just to, to round up. The precipitation in both Arizona and New Mexico in the past three months has been uh, less than 70% uh, of average in all, but just a tiny fraction of both those states. Um, about 98% of Arizona and New Mexico is currently experiencing at least moderate drought or a more uh, severe drought category. Uh, in the last 30 days, uh, since about December 24th, nearly all of Arizona has experienced less than 50% of its average rainfall for, for that period, you know, which is also the case for the western half of, uh, of New Mexico. And in addition to the, these dry conditions, it's also been a very cold last month with temperatures uh, four to eight degrees below average. And uh, four or four days, I believe last week, uh, we experienced uh, frost or, or freeze warnings. So I'll turn it over to you, Mike, if you can sort of unwrap this situation, or if you can, you can, you can wrap it. I could wrap it. I, I like the unwrap because the, the last time we, uh, we talked, we were putting together our Christmas wish list for Santa for this winter. And I think I said, you know, I think I put on my wish list for Santa. I said, Santa, I want a handful of storms. I want them to um, sort of be distributed throughout the winter. And I think I should have been a little more specific because we did have a handful of storms in December, but they weren't great precip producers. Um, we had, you know, a, a, a tenth of an inch here, a tenth of an inch there. We did have some pretty good snow put down in the Mogollon Rim and, and um, parts of of Western New Mexico, but overall, um, even with that frequency of storms, we're still running below average. And I think part of that was is a lot of these storms were, were pretty cold. I mean, they were they were really cold storms. And these are the ones that are in December. Yeah, Late we actually December. yeah. If you think about, we go back and look at the data. Um, it, and this is the interesting thing too. If you you take different time periods since December first to today, you get different answers on the average temperature. Because remember, the very beginning of December, right to the 15th, was above average. We had really, really warm early right. December. Right around the 15th, we actually had our first couple of winter storms sort of mm -hmm. move in, and we had those storms sort of strung out through the rest of December. And at that point, we were actually, right then, about average. Um, from If you take the 15th through the 30th of, um, of December, and you start to look at those temperatures, we were about, about average. Then we move into December and we start to pick up a couple of these really good cold spells. So if you look at any two week period in there, you could have above average, average or below average. You put it all together over six weeks, we're actually coming in close to average, 
But if you take the last couple of weeks, we're way below average. Right. So <laughs> this is the fun, fun with statistics over the period. It's actually been, if you look at it that way, it's been a really variable six weeks across to your, across the Southwest. But the precipitation is all but shut down in the last two to two, three weeks. You can look at, you can look right to the beginning of December and we've had um, very little of consequence um, come through. I December think, or January? I'm sorry, January. Yeah, yeah. December was it was a decent month and it looked pretty good and we had this distribution of storms that I was hoping would, would keep up. But again, I should have been more specific to Santa saying I wanted, I, I want it all. I want a lot of storms and I want them to be wet storms at the same time. And, and we've got, we had a good number of storms move through, but they just have not been good precip producers. And in New Mexico, for all intents and purposes, has missed out on a lot of this action. Right. Just the track of these storms has really, has really sort of gone around them in a lot of a lot of respect. Right. And if you look at the entire West and you look at you know the snow and the precipitation, it's it's particularly the snowpacks. I mean, many re most regions are faring be below average. I think only the Pacific Northwest has has above average, uh, by and large, of, of, of snow, snow water, the water content in snowpacks. Actually, interestingly, um, the Mogollon Rim area, the Flagstaff area, um, Salt River Basin has some of the 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 highest above average snow water contents in in all of the West. Um, and you get this curious case of above average snowpack here, but below average precipitation which is which is kind of which is kind of funny although it makes sense because it's really just a matter of when the the uh the, the snow falls yeah and I, and I think that you know the uh, there's there's not really a dichotomy there I mean I, 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 the storms that came through um the couple of them that were good snow producers they're going to focus on the Mogollon Rim. I mean, the rest of the state can fall away and not see any precip with these storms, and the Mogollon can do really well. We get that kind of interesting pattern here in Arizona that the Mogollon is able to wring out um, precipitation from sort of meager storms coming through. And I think that part of the snowpack story is that um, it's been cold. So they were good, efficient snow producers, and they're the snowpack, the yeah, they're staying on. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, that, that helps... Um, that helps them hang on. But, you know, they, that can't last forever, right? I mean, that snowpack will get eaten away. It'll get eaten alive um, over the next month or two if, if we don't continue to get something put, put on top of that existing snowpack. Right. And then as you get, however, to like the Colorado and yeah. the upper Colorado River Basin and New Mexico, aside from, from, from Arizona, which has fared with those couple storms that you mentioned to be reasonably well with, with their snow water content, but Colorado, the upper Colorado River Basin, the Rio Grande uh, headwaters, their snow water content up there is all running around 60% uh, of average, which doesn't bode well for the early spring streamflow forecast. And I, the, those streamflow forecasts are first made on, on January 1st. And uh, for the Rio Grande, there is a, the, the sort of... Uh, the, the best guess right now, and it's still early in the season, but that the, the flow in the Rio Grande uh, will be somewhere in about 50% of average. And uh, I believe for Colorado, the Colorado River too, the, the flow coming into uh, Lake Powell, it, the best guess is about 50% 50, 50 of average. So th those that situation um, doesn't bode well for the already sort of perilous water supply, particularly in, in New Mexico and um, in those reservoirs there, but it's probably worth stress, stressing that, again, it's, it's mid-January. Yeah. There's a lot of winter left, yeah. particularly for the Colorado Rockies that, 
th- those headwaters. So it is, it, and I think that's exactly right. I mean, it, it, it's early. It's you know, it's not you know, all hope is not lost. But you know, we're ticking towards the end of January. January is an important month. Um, you know, and, and we'll be looking to February, and we'll be looking to March, and that's it. You know, I mean, the upper the upper basin, and you go further north, they they can extend their season into into April. You can sort of pick up those that storm activity. And, and you got to think those that those middle basin. I'm looking and thinking of the whole West here, the the Upper Colorado and and areas north. They have really high expectations for you know. They usually get a lot, so they're coming in below average. Still early in the season. Still a chance to catch up. You get further down here in the Southwest. Our season's much shorter, so we ha- we we need to we need to pick up stuff a little bit earlier. Our season runs out a little bit quicker. Right. So is there anything that that you know our favorite you know, teleconnection, El Nino, Southern Oscillation can tell us right now. I mean, you know, in the next next few months, I mean, we're still, we're at, we're at ENSO neutral. So um, that being said, the Climate Prediction Centers does suggest that uh, there's slightly elevated chances for below average precipitation moving forward. Yeah. So any insight into what they're picking up on? It's still, it, it, it's still the, the global circulation or general circulation models or Boy, that GCM—you could you could pretty much fill in that acronym in, in seven different ways. Yeah. I'll, today, I'll go with um, global global climate model. Let's see if that that's what GCM stands for. Um, their model, and one of theirs in particular, their favorite, this climate forecast system and the Virgin Two, um, is still picking up on this this pretty strong dry signal going forward. But that signal was predicted for December as well, and that pattern of above average temperatures and dry conditions didn't hold. So. It's picking on picking up on something, um, but it's not clear how confident that forecast is going forward. So right. I, I, I'll hope. You know, the thing is, it's going to be interesting. Is that the precip forecast that they had might actually verify because we are coming in below average, um, but it's not for probably the same reason that they thought. Right? I mean, their temperature forecast probably won't verify because they're expecting this high pressure to park over us and steer storms to the north, and we didn't really have that. You know, we had six, seven storms come through here that were, were not great precip producers, so we're still falling behind. But during an ENSO neutral phase, does the, does the jet stream have a little bit more wiggle in it? Yeah. Or can it have a little it, bit it more? It can have a little bit more wiggle. You know, I think it's less prone to, you know, La Niñas are really famous for causing these blocking situations where the jet stream will get stuck in different patterns. And we know that real well because we had two La Nina winters in a row. And, you know, if it's fresh in your mind from last year, the jet stream did get stuck and it caused... North, more. Yeah, yeah, it got, it got stuck north more and seared those storms away from us. And we had really persistent, um, long, persistent dry stretches. And we had that two years in a row. Right, so that, that leads us to hope that we do get the relatively... When the storms come, they're relatively spaced out or... Yeah, I mean, and, and if you look at the... the, the the frequency of the storms through December, and if you were, you know, paying attention to the attention to the weather maps obsessively, like I am, which is, you know, a, a symptom of weather geekness, um, and I'm I'm um, been diagnosed with that particular condition, <laughs> is that the jet stream was progressive, meaning that those waves in the jet stream were moving. You know, they weren't getting stuck, and you know, we had little wiggles in the jet stream, quickly moving across. I mean, the storm systems that were coming across the southwest in December were fast, and that's a good sign that the jet stream is. Is on its move. And for those who are interested, the Climate Prediction Center does uh, say that it, there's real high chances that ENSO neutral will stay with us through into the summer. Right. So that's our, our, our current state with the, with the tropical uh, Pacific Ocean. 
the CPC, the Climate Prediction Center, also suggests that we have elevated chances for above average temperatures moving forward in, into the spring, which in my mind is, 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 is mostly reflective of recent warming trends. Mm -hmm. But of course, they did say that uh, last month as well. And, and you know, we, we had a really frigid, um, frigid last 30 day, last two weeks, actually. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in, in, in doing a little reading uh, in, the, in the blogosphere, you know, the sort of buzzword now is the, the sudden stratospheric warming events that uh, are influencing, influencing the Arctic, which is then influencing uh, the position of the jet stream, which enables it to, to, to meander more and, and bring that cold Arctic air into, into places in, in, in the continental US and Europe. Um, so how, what, what do you know about the impact of the Arctic and its, its influence here on in, uh, precipitation? Well, more temperature. More temperature. Well, so I, I think that, um, well, Zach and I'll make a prediction that at the end of 2013 on New Year's Eve, one of the words of the year or a series of words or, or phrases will be sudden stratospheric warming. It will be... You know, kids will be uttering it in in high school. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> just in the hallway, you know, man. Like, how, man, did you see that sudden stratospheric warming event of this? I, we would have we, done our job well. If that we would have case. done our job well. I mean, talk about, yeah, that, that enters in it. Turn, but, everybody, I mean, it. turn everybody into nerds. Exactly, right. Right. It, it's, it's been interesting to sort of um, see how much interest, this is sort of a arcane meteorological phenomenon that, that is only in the, um, um, the language of research meteorologists and, and becoming more and, and forecast meteorologists. But over the last couple of weeks, we've seen um, what we call the sudden stratospheric warming event of epic proportions. Quite honestly, it's it's um, if you troll the blogosphere of you know meteorologists blogging about this and and some of the official forecast agencies, they're um, completely taken aback by how quickly this sudden stratospheric warming event is and how strong it is. It's it's by all accounts a record. Um, since we've been sort of keeping observations of the upper atmosphere. So maybe, maybe what is it? If what you, is is a good yeah. question. That's a really good question, right? So it you know, first goes into thinking about, well, where is the stratosphere? What the heck is that? We first got to think about the layer of the atmosphere that we live in is the troposphere, right? So all the weather occurs in the troposphere. And in the troposphere, the temperature decreases with height. And at, at this point in the atmosphere, just above that, um, the atmosphere gets very thin and it actually starts warming again because ozone is in there and it's, it's, um, it's absorbing ultraviolet radiation and giving off energy. So above that, the temperatures increase with height. Okay, the interesting thing about this is, and this is, boy oh boy, this is a complicated thing to try to explain in words. <laughs> even on paper, even drawing a picture is sort of an ex is a complicated thing. But the layer of the atmosphere is structured where it's thicker at the tropics and lower at the poles. Right. Okay. And also in the winter time, um, at the poles, um, both poles in their in their respective winters, um, the sunlight goes away and, and the upper atmosphere cools down very very quickly. And so right at the um, um, interface between the troposphere and the stratosphere, and in the stratosphere we have this very strong vortex, a low pressure system developed called the polar vortex, and it sort of extends down to the, down to the surface. All right, and when we have that polar vortex in place, and you can see this on, on weather maps, even watching on weather channels, where all those purples and blues, the really cold air, when they're contained up around the poles, which is where you expect them to be, and you go away from that toward, south towards the equator, the temperatures get warmer and warmer, okay? In that situation, the polar vortex is very strong, 
people have sort of likened this to having the refrigerator door closed, right? You're keeping all the cold air there. That polar vortex and that polar jet stream contain that air. Well, we have this situation where um, this sudden stratospheric warming is when um, warming occurs where the polar vortex is occurring, and it's usually cold there. And if you warm it up, you totally mess with the polar vortex, and it weakens or it can fall apart. And then that's basically kicking the refrigerator door open, and then that cold air spills south. So it totally disrupts the whole sort of winter circulation pattern that we have. So that's, that's well, this concept of sudden stratospheric warming, and then what we call the Arctic, Arctic oscillation, which is when you have this, this full-on sort of dumping of cold air to the south. Okay, so it's this really complicated chicken and the egg is, is the polar vortex sort of weak and destabilized? Is there's this tendency to have this Arctic oscillation um, set up um, going into a winter season? Does that then contribute to the flow pattern that would cause a sudden stratospheric warming? Or is it the sudden stratospheric warming cause relationship to the jet stream that would then induce this this um, change in the Arctic Oscillation. We don't know. Yeah, so we, it's sort we of the bleeding edge right now. We're, we, we're, you know, the, the, the dynamics of it are really complicated. I'll, I will say that this, um, this is so hard if you're not thinking about, on a daily basis, the atmosphere in three dimensions. Who does that, right? I mean, the US Today weather page yeah. is, you know, is not a three-dimensional view of the atmosphere, all right? But it, there's, a, there's been some interesting stuff going on in the North Pacific, and I don't know if you guys have sort of have heard this or have been paying attention to it. There was this giant, giant superstorm, like superstorm Sandy uh, um, size, that formed off of Japan and, and set these, it was, um, had low pre central pressures equivalent to typhoons. Huh. But it occurred in um, late December, early January. And it was part of a super, super duper loopy jet stream in that part of the world. And the idea was is that that energy of that storm propagated upward into the atmosphere, and that's what messed with the polar vortex. So that kicked it off? That was the kickoff. So you for need the sort of like an initial... Which you, it's, it's the loopiness of the jet stream. Because right. the jet stream... When it doubles it, back on itself. When it doubles back on itself and when there's really, really high amplitude waves in it. That, a high amplitude wave has lots of energy, right? And that energy needs to get dissipated. And part of the way it gets dissipated is not only through storm activity on the surface, but it sends energy up in the atmosphere. And so that energy was warming in the stratosphere. That warming in the stratosphere nukes the polar vortex. The polar vortex actually split in two, which doesn't happen very often. Part of the polar vortex sagged south over Canada, and that was our cold snap in Arizona. That polar vortex set the one lobe of the polar vortex, which is normally this one big thing, split in two, sagged south. So that cold air that we had parking over the western US was actually the polar vortex um, totally wandering around, lost, um, over central Canada. But these aren't that unusual. Or is, is, is it unusual? Is the, 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 the cold snap that we had two years ago that, you know, that, that we remember vividly, was that similar? Or? Yeah, you know, I don't, that cold snap was related to this Arctic oscillation sh shift, but I don't know if it was yeah. set off by a sudden stratospheric warming or, or vice versa, yeah. right? I mean, there's sort of this, this chicken and the egg. And the interesting thing is, is that, um, are these unusual? Sudden stratospheric warmings, um, people who study this say that they happen on average every two years. Every, every winter, every two years right. on average. And if you look back in the records, this was, um, we were talking about this earlier, is that they were first discovered by um, 
uh, European researchers in the mid-50s, right, when they actually, we started putting balloon soundings with regularity up through the Arctic, and we, we started noticing things. And so as we paid attention over time, about every two years, but within the last basically 10 years, they've been occurring with much more frequency, and there's now concern of um, them connecting with the sea ice, sea ice loss in the Arctic. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, uh, the two things that, that um, this cold snap remind me of, one, it's that the changes in the Arctic matter, they, and it matters they do. for a yeah. lot of places. Yeah. It's, it's another one of those far-off teleconnections, as, as, as we say, that influence weather on a global pattern that's not in the area that, that, that you live in. Right. And the other thing is, is this is uh, what the Arctic is going to do moving forward. There's massive changes going on with what you just mentioned, the, the sea ice, and all of these sort of feedbacks and dynamics that were just now, uh, well, it's been around since the 50s, but again, it's coming back in vogue, and, and there's a lot more to, to learn. So it seems like you know, that is, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big wild card when we're thinking about what's, what's going to happen yeah, in I mean, the future. Yeah, I mean, and you think of the, the sea ice extent in the 50s doesn't match here. So, like, the, the, climate is, the climate is doing things that we, we haven't, you know, we, we, they're new, <laughs> right? We don't have that many. We're really like, fly. Exactly, and it's one of these things, you know, climatologists, one of our, our tools is statistical relationships with multiple events, right? And the more events you have, the more sort of power you have in your understanding of that. You know, we're doing this in real time. So you have one, two, four events that we're trying to piece out relationships. And dynamically, stuff doesn't all fit together yet because we don't have the physics worked out. That is a great topic for for next uh, podcast, talking about the, the statistics of the past and how they may not be appropriate for the statistics yes. of the future. It's a, it's a, it's a scary proposition, <laughs> isn't it? Um, well, great. Uh, I think we'll wrap it up here. Uh, we'll come back in a month and do the same thing. Hopefully, we'll have another uh, interesting weather phenomenon to discuss, like uh, like the sudden stratospheric warming, or maybe we'll we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. Right. Um, so you can access this podcast on both the Klimas website, which is www.climas.arizona.edu. And on the Southwest Climate Change Network site, which is www.southwestclimatechange.org. Um, so thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in a month.